Hello and welcome to episode 1090 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, August 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and I'm flying solo again. And uh, I think we're going to have a decent number of solo episodes the rest of the season. Justin and I are still going to be there on the, uh, uh, you know, Tuesday and, and Friday for sure. But I'm going to be mixing in some of these, um, A, because I love podcasting. Uh, that's just the easiest part of it. But B, I've just been having some some weird struggles with writing lately. And it's really been uh, about how long things take. And, you know, some of it can be like, okay, distractions of getting on the internet or whatever. But even when I try to block that out, I, I, I don't know what it is. But, like, my pace, like, it, it, it's brutal. It's brutal. And, like, I love doing the box score bits. And it does take some time to go through and review and you know, find things to write about the pictures I, I choose. But it shouldn't take as long as it is. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm just old, my brain's breaking, or what. But it's a lot more time efficient for me to put some notes together, get on the mic, and talk than it is to spend you know, sometimes the entire day writing a box score bit. So again, I, I, I enjoy doing it, but the turnaround just... It has to be quicker. And I, until I can figure that out, um, they're going to be a little bit more sporadic on the box score. But I still want to do something. I mentioned that there is not going to be an updated SP list in September because I'm going to turn box score bits into basically, you know, like um, <clears throat> here's how some of the pitchers did and here's who to look at today type of or tomorrow, you know, down the road because everything is so touch and go in September. And so a day-to-day look is better than a ranking. I, I don't think a ranking really helps, but instead breaking down the upcoming schedule every day in September and saying like, okay, these guys are going, you know, these are some opportunities to stream. Maybe be careful here if you're protecting ratios, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, what we're doing today is we're going to talk some streamers for the week on the mound and then some interesting hitters who you might be able to pick up. Um, in different leagues, depending on, on league size and all that, that I'm interested in. Not necessarily streamers there. Some of those guys you might keep, but uh, they're the interesting guys of late. So let's just get into it with some streamers here. Now, I've got some standard two-step guys, and I'll try to you know acknowledge availability here. Or not try to. I have them written down for uh, all these two-steps right here, where they're, how much they're rostered at Yahoo and ESPN. Now, a lot of these guys, in fact... Four of the six, for sure, are pretty heavily rostered, say, in like the main event. Plus, the main event, Fab ran yesterday. So, my NFBC folks, this one's not as much for y'all um, because, you know, your Fab already ran and they, you're not going to be able to necessarily go out and get these guys. These are for folks that can do like daily moves or lineup setting, too. If you have players on your roster right here and you're making decisions, maybe something that I uh, point out about them will illuminate why you want to start or sit them. So, we got... Six uh, two-step guys. I got some guys that are maybe sneaky starts because of some weaknesses for teams against a particular handedness. And um, these these aren't like uh, uh, the Angels against lefties. The Angels suck against everyone. They're particularly awful against lefties. But we know that, right? And then I, that's what the last section will be, the dregs of the league and some of the sneak starters you might be able to get against the Tigers, the Angels, the Pirates, etc. So... Let's get into it. Let's start with Aaron Savali, longtime favorite uh, for me. I mean, obviously, if you've been listening for a while, you're not surprised to hear me talking up Savali. 
And I've been pretty impressed with how he's looked since coming back from injury. And he's kind of a different guy. Uh, 34% at Yahoo, 41% at ESPN. He did get bumped yesterday. That puts him on a two-step this week, I believe. Or not, I don't believe. That is 100% the truth. I don't know why I've couched it like that. But he definitely is. He got pushed back. Um, and they don't have a game today on Monday, so Tuesday. So he's going to start that at San Diego and then at Seattle. So it's a little difficult. San Diego and Seattle, quality teams, both on the road. And yet, I'm still very interested in Savali across many formats because of how well he's been pitching since returning from the IL, as I was mentioning earlier. Now, even before, when he was very bad, before hitting the IL, he had like a seven-something ERA. He had a 15% strikeout minus walk rate, which is plenty fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's in line with Savali's career, and he's been a pretty good starter throughout his career, if a little light on the Ks and things like that. Uh, everything else about Savali has been pretty nice, and I've been, I, I, whenever I watch him, I feel like, man, Savali could add some Ks. There is some juice there uh, with his stuff. It's kind of like Urquidy for me. These these finesse guys that that you know they don't they don't overpower, but they have secondary arsenals that you're like you can see where they could get some swing and miss, but uh, Urquidy just still hasn't really done that, although he's rebounded in season two. We are seeing that corner turn a little bit from Savali. Since returning, he's found some strikeouts, 27% strikeout rate, and it is fueling a 22% strikeout minus walk rate, which is wonderful. For context on that, uh, let me get you this year's league average there. I want to say it's 14% for starters, but I want to get 100% accurate. 14%, 13.9, I was right on it. So 14% is the league average for starters. I mentioned that Savali was at 15% before the injury, and that's where he's lived. So he's been kind of a league average guy on strikeout minus walk uh, because he doesn't overpower. He limits walks very well and usually has contact management slash quality left on base rates that drive his performance uh, coming into this year because he had a 3.76 ERA against a 4.39 Sierra, which is skill interactive ERA. It's an ERA indicator like FIP, and his FIP in that time is 4.28. So right there, and you can tell he outperforms because he is a contact management guy who doesn't dominate with strikeouts. But Savali has a good chance to uh, to stay hot here, even against a couple quality opponents. I love what Cleveland does with pitchers. I kind of, you know, by default, I'm I'm intrigued by virtually anybody they have. I mean, I've taken I've taken the Plesac train enough times just because you know I'll have an interesting two step against the Tigers and the Royals, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Cleveland does good things with their pitchers, and even he, Plesac, while I don't love him for fantasy, 4.43 ERA, 136 WHIP. Like, that's a perfectly fine four-starter in real life. So even he is uh, delivering the real-life value that they want. But Savali could definitely be a bit more and a nice fantasy piece. Jeffrey Springs, more available than I thought. 63% rostered at Yahoo, uh, which, you know, is is pretty high, but I think it should maybe even be higher. And then just 35% at ESPN for Springs. Springs has been going well for a while now, so I'm a little bit surprised by those by those numbers. I mean, he's even been, um, actually, let me, let me compare him to this other guy here and see. Yeah, so why, why are Jeffrey Springs' roster rates not as high as Drew Rasmussen's, who's at 73% Yahoo, 84% ESPN? Like, what hasn't Springs done to earn the trust of folks? You know, I mean, you, you, you can think he's a, a major goob off field, but like, if you're putting best players on on your team there, I, I, I am surprised 
by his rather low roster rate, in my opinion. As a starter, 16 starts for Jeffrey Springs, 79 innings with a 285 ERA and a 111 whip. Uh, 84 strikeouts in that time, too. Over a strikeout per inning, 16 walks, 11 homers. There's, there's your one little fly in the ointment, a 1-3 homer nine. But if you don't walk, guys, and you miss bats, you can really mitigate the damage of those homers. And uh, Springs has done that, and he's done a really good job with it. He gets uh, the Angels, who are, again, dreadful against lefties, so it's a slam dunk start there. He does get at Boston on the second half of his two-step, and I'll tell you, they're not they're not terrifying like I, I obviously don't love trying to face a Boston lineup but um you know just looking I'm kind of been looking at a sample like since July 1st you know a little bit of a tighter sample when I'm looking at platoon splits I want to see how the guys are doing I'll also look at the season composite too to see if their their since uh July 1st mark is is wildly different from where they've been on the season and Boston is sputtering a bit against lefties at home. Uh, that is that is relatively new, though. They, they've dipped to, to uh, a 98 WRC plus since July 1st. And on the season, they are at 122. So that was a little touch and go. I'll tell you what, though. I'm taking the plunge in my 12 and 15 team league where I have Springs. The LA start is good enough, and his skills, in my opinion, are good enough to take a shot against high-quality teams, even a team like Boston. He recently went to Boston back on July 5th, and it didn't go so well. Four innings, five hits, and two walks uh, yielded three runs, but with five strikeouts as well. So it wasn't a great outing, but it also wasn't a killer, and I'm, I'm willing to take that shot there uh, with Jeffrey Springs. I think it's a good two-step week for him. Another trip to Boston here for somebody uh, on the right-hand side, though, Ross Stripling. He has a two-step at Boston, and then he gets the Angels. So the Rays and the um, the, the the Rays and the Jays have inverse schedules 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 this week uh, at Boston, and then hosting LA. Uh, so Stripling starts at Boston, then gets LA. He's thirty-six percent Yahoo, fifteen percent ESPN, and Stripling. I mean, is basically another Savali for me. He was NL Savali before Stripling came over to the uh, came over to the Jays in terms of like spore favorites, guys that I've been gassing forever. Another soft tossing type who you know these finesse guys I get I get stuck on. It's because I'm in deep leagues though. You know when you're and when you're scrounging the wire and you're looking for kind of breakouts, it you got to dig a little deeper. And uh, I'm not saying that as like uh, that makes my leagues better or anything like that. I'm just saying it's just the facts of the matter that waiver wires aren't going to be as robust you got to dig deeper and that's how I fell for a guy like Stripling I mean he did really well with the Dodgers too it's not like a I was alone or b there was no uh, foundation to it I will say though that once he got out of LA I was like okay great a team can turn him loose just let him consistently start and maybe we have a gem here and he's been fine he's been fine it seems the Dodgers uh, got the best out of him and knew hey if we trade him we're trading like a quality fourth starter who can who can have bouts of three number three starter capability. And that's basically what he's been this year in his 89 innings. I mean, actually, he's really pitched like a, a, a number two. I mean, 293 ERA, 103 whip. But, you know, you look at the skills and, and you're like, okay, I see Stripling, a 21% K rate, 4% walk rate. That's, you know, mid-tier right there, capable. And I will take the shot at Boston on the front end of that with Stripling to get the L.A. start and because he's been pitching well. So uh, Savali Springs, Stripling so far. And then Jake Odorizzi at Pittsburgh at St. Louis. 
you don't love going to St. Louis and those of you in daily leagues, if you can avoid it with Odo and you can just go with the Pittsburgh start, then by all means do that. I will say, I don't feel the same way about Springs uh, and Stripling. I would take both of their starts, even the Boston one. Now, if you want to play it safely and avoid it, I'm not going to blast you for that. But I'm cool, even in a daily league, to take both starts from those guys. But with Odorizzi, I am going to play it a bit more cautiously at St. Louis. That's just, I mean, St. Louis is not a difficult venue, but I just, they're scary. <laughs> they're really scary. And I don't really want to get caught up with that. They have the fourth highest uh, home OPS against righties. Uh, all year long, and they're third since July 1st. That's the the Cardinals there. So Odo will be in for a little bit. If you're in a deeper league, I get it, uh, or, or in a weekly league, and you have to take both, I still, I can get behind it. But in those daily league situations where you have the opportunity to avoid it, take the Pittsburgh start and then pass on the uh, trip to St. Louis for Odorizzi. He hasn't been great as a brave by any stretch. It's been 13 and two thirds and the numbers are garbage. I can just tell you a 205 whip is all you need to know. <laughs> when it when a whip, uh, you know, sounds like it should be an ERA, you know it's bad. If it starts with a two, it's horrendous. So that's all you need to know. But he was a 375 ERA, 115 whip with Houston, uh, you know, which is in, in line with stuff that he's done. To be honest, he kind of fits in this Savale stripling class right down to the fact that I've been an Odorizzi fan for years. I promise I didn't just pick these dudes that I've been gassing up for years. They just happen to be on two steps this week with Odorizzi at 20% for Yahoo, 10% for ESPN, understandably on the low end there. Get that Pittsburgh start. That's your focus. If you have to take the St. Louis plunge, Godspeed. Let's, let's hope it goes well. Austin Voth for uh, for Baltimore, yes, it is Voth, not Voth. It's just like both with a with a V. Uh, has really found something since going over to Baltimore, coming from from Washington. Now he doesn't fit the class of like I gassed him up a bunch in previous years the way I did these other guys, but. I did have a little love for him coming into the year. I included him on the Washington Nationals uh, roster review because I, when I was doing those roster reviews, I was doing some things for the future, like who's the best buy going into next year, who's on the rise, who's off the radar, and then I would do a hot take. And my off the radar was both. I, I was, you know, hey, super, super deep league draft and hold type guy. Could be a little something uh, because, you know, he showed some things in the first half. You know, th there, there were little elements there for the 30-year-old Voth. And I was like, hey, I could, I could see how this could work with Washington. Well, I was close. It is working, but it's with Baltimore. He just had to move a little bit in the area because he started off 18 and two-thirds uh, really rough. I mean, a 455 Babbitt. Again, sometimes you can just give one number from the line, and that tells you all you need to know. 455 BABIP is truly insane. He allowed 16.4 hits. Voth did. Here's the thing. 1013 ERA for Voth with Washington this year, but a 384 Sierra. So the skills were there. 19% K, 6% walk. He probably could have come out of it if Washington had just kind of let him. But sometimes when the performance is that bad, it's just like, hey, we got to at least, you know, make a move here to let you clear your head and see if we can figure some things out and you come back because while your while your core skills are there maybe there's some things that you're doing to contribute to this bad or maybe the defense was just stone cold failing both but either way they needed to do something um i believe they dfa'd him baltimore swooped in and said you know what we'll take a shot so washington did not get him to pass through waivers to go down to the minors baltimore took their shot and they really hit on something here obviously they've been doing wonderful things with their pitching this year a lot of it due to the park too 
I don't want to, but I also don't want to just say it's simply the park. Um, it is, that is a big part of it. No doubt. Moving that left field wall back 7,422 feet was a big deal. But it's not like all these guys are just riding home, home stretches and they're garbage on the road. In, in fact, Voth hasn't even leveraged his new home park just yet. He has a 405-135 ERA whip combo in 20 innings with the O's uh, in Camden, but a 193 ERA .96 whip in 28 road innings, which includes five starts and four relief appearances. So he's not even uh, necessarily getting the, the fruits of that wonderful wall just yet. But I really like what he's doing. You add it all up, it's 48 innings with a 16% strikeout minus walk, so just a bit over average. Uh, I see the 12% swinging strike rate, and I think there's even more strikeouts here potentially for both. He is a fly ball guy, so you want to be careful in certain scenarios. And I will freely admit that this is not an easy two-step, including at Houston on the weekend. And it starts with the White Sox at home. Now, if it was at the White Sox at Houston, I think I would be pretty scared off by this but because he does get the one home game there for austin both with the white Sox coming to visit him i feel better about that even though the houston start is scary again daily leaguers if you can just get both for the white Sox start and then bench him for houston do that but if you have to take the plunge i'm gonna go ahead and go for it i know taking a shot at houston is asking for trouble don't forget i'm also more of a deep leaguer in tens i would not do that uh, with, with the at Houston. I, I just wouldn't take the both shot there. 12s, depending on where you're at with your needs. And then in 15s, I'm taking the plunge. I'm putting them in. Austin both home to the White Sox at Houston. Godspeed on that Houston one. And then this last one is a deep league play for y'all. And I've been talking about this guy a little bit here on the pod and in some articles. Haven't quite seen everything click just yet for Cole Reagans out in Texas, but I do like him. And I do think that there is a path to success here. And I want to see if he, he kind of starts turning the corner in his big league career because he's kind of learning on the job a little bit. And you can tell when you're watching his starts that he's grinding. He's really trying to figure out ways to succeed. He might not be the most comfortable, but he's but he's kind of done a pretty decent job. Um, his walks were way up in the first two starts, four against the White Sox, three against Houston uh, in Houston. And I think part of that was the, the grinding of like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want this guy to beat me. Uh, so let me go ahead. You know, if I if I have a few walks, it's not going to be the end of the world because that wasn't a big issue for Reagan's in the minors. And that's R-A-G-A-N-S for Reagan's, Cole Reagan's, decent little prospect for uh, uh, for Texas here, who had a really great minor league season. 27% K rate and 7% walks at uh, 43 innings at AAA. That's a 20% strikeout minus walk rate there. And then a 22% mark in 51 innings at AA. And he had swing and miss all the way up the minor league chain. Uh, double digit swing and strike rates, quality K rates. The only stop that had a K rate below 24% was a 20% mark in 36 innings at double A last year. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued here. I do wonder, maybe I need to read more on his backstory. I'm seeing a huge blip here. My man didn't pitch from 17 to 21. Wow. So he was drafted in the first round of 2016, Cole Reagans for the Rangers. And, you know, he got a little, little uh, sip of production in 2016, seven and two thirds, then 57 and a third in, in 2017, 
and then he returned last year. Let me see if I can find something. I, I listen. I'm a new fan of his. I don't. I don't want to pretend that this is somebody I've been uh, on the train for for years. I learned about him this year. Saw some good stuff in the minors, and I've been promoting him and picking him up in some of my deeper formats. But let me let me get a backstory. It's probably on uh, the prospect report because he did make the list. He was their 20 guy. Two TJs. There it is. I, I, I figured at least one of it was TJ. But yeah, two TJs. He was a top 100 prospect in 2017. Um, wow. It, it cost him all of 18, 19, and 20. His pre-surgery fastball was 88 to 91, and now he's 92, 94 for Reagans. So this is that, that's really interesting. I did not know that he'd had double TJ. He's been 92 on average in, in the majors. And like I said, the walks have been a problem in two of the three starts. So he does have literally a negative strikeout minus walk rate. He has an 11% strikeout rate and a 13% walk rate. So that's minus 2% on the K minus BB. I don't need to tell you that that's truly horrendous. You're not going to find anything in those first three starts from Cole Reagans that you're going to go, yo, this is the dude to get. I, I know that because I'm looking at the stats and I have them on teams. Um, the Oakland start was okay. You want more against Oakland, though, too, because it's Oakland. So why would I even recommend him? Well, deep leagues, y'all, if you're in a deep league, you know there is nothing out there. And the Detroit start is obviously the allure here with Reagans. But I also, uh, let me bring up those numbers again. The, the Twins don't exactly destroy lefties. They're 16th since June 1st. And honestly, or July 1st, so are the Tigers, by the way. Um, they're, 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 not, they're not also 16th, they're 17th, they're right behind them. But again, we don't run from the Tigers even, even with lefties. Like, I'm sorry, they do better against lefties, but it's still the Tigers. And for the season, Minnesota's 14th to the Tigers' 18th. So both have been pretty much adhering to their same levels, both in the shortened sample since July 1st and the full season sample. They're both kind of middling teams against lefties. If you need something and you're in a really deep league, 15 teams or more, you could take a look. If you want to avoid the at Minnesota for Reagans and then just keep your eye on that Detroit start at home, by all means, totally, totally get that. This is a little bit of a uh, spec play with it, or a lot bit of a spec play with Reagans because, again, the major league numbers have not been sharp, but I think the arm talent is there. I've been impressed with what I saw in the minors this year because, again, that I, I can't say also 2021. I did not follow him last year. I was not He was not on my radar. I am a recent, recent, recent Reagans fan, but I do think there is some upside there for you deep league folks that are scrounging for anything you can find. Now I have a handful of players that... Uh, they could be viable. Well, one of them is just viable because he's been pitching well. But uh, a couple teams that have a particular weakness that you might be able to pinpoint. Uh, the Brewers, they are dreadful against lefties right now. And again, looking at our, at our Titan sample uh, since July 1st, the Brewers are third worst against lefties in WRC Plus at 74. They lead the league with a 30% K rate against southpaws that's that's severe now again this is why my deep leaguers you're like okay come on this guy i'm about to say he's not available paul he is at the shallower formats because it's just different when you drop from 14 or from 15 teams to 12 or 10 obviously things change greatly and justin Steele is available 31 percent at yahoo 18 percent rostered at espn for steel so he is widely available and it's a great time to pick him up i wouldn't even just pick him up to stream though i'd pick him up to hang on i don't really know like 
listen, even accounting for the shallowness of those leagues, I'm still not entirely sure why Justin Steele's roster rate is that low. I don't even think that you can just call that, hey, um, shallow leagues, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily get on top of uh, everybody right away. His last 13 starts, Justin Steele has a 208 ERA with a 305 FIP. So I don't want to hear it. Uh, shallow leagues are asleep at the wheel. He also has a strikeout per inning, 74 and 73 and two-thirds innings. So, like, what are we doing here? And that's that's a 13-start stretch dating back to June 5th. Since the break, he's, like, untouchable. Uh, quite literally has a sub-1 ERA for Justin Steele at .86 with 41 Ks in 31 innings. So you need to get on this train here in the shallower formats. He gets Milwaukee this week. Even if they were better against lefties, I still wouldn't care. I would still be interested in picking Steele up because Steele's good, but I figured I would use this conceit as a way to highlight him uh, because the Brewers have been so bad against lefties. His teammate, uh, Steele's teammate, Drew Smiley, could also be one that you look at deeper leagues there, or maybe even, you know, I can see it in a 12. Like Smiley, Smiley's a good pitcher. The biggest issue with him has always been that health usually derails him. And that's been consistent throughout a lot of his career. Loved him with the Tigers. He did some great work with Tampa Bay. He's bounced around a bit last year and shown flashes with, with each of those teams, with the Giants for a little bit. Um, he did he did plenty fine for, uh, for the Braves at times last year in 126 and two-thirds. And then 76 innings this year with the Cubbies. He's at 367 ERA and a 125 whip. A lot of times with Smiley, it's it's availability that you just don't know about. But when he's in... He should usually be rostered at a, at a decent number of, of the deeper formats. Um, so yeah, I could take I could take this Milwaukee start this weekend for Drew Smiley because of how well he's been pitching and how poorly they do against lefties. And then this one, a little bit of a sneak one here because uh, we I think we still associate this team as as quite good because they're not bad, but they are also five hundred under five hundred right now. And that's the Giants. They're sixty and sixty one on the season. And we know about their terrible defense, but did you know that they're not really making the grade against righties right now? If you look at their work against righties since uh, July 1st, the shortened sample, it's their fifth worst at an 81 mark. Like, that's really bad. They're down there with the with the goobers like Detroit, the Angels, the Marlins, and Pittsburgh. So that's not good for the Giants. For the season, they have a better mark, so they've gotten worse. Let me see. For the season, where are the Giants? They are 97, so they're about league average at that point. That puts them 17th. So, you know, they haven't been this bad all year, but it's, you know, it's almost a two-month sample of being this bad. And let me see. Let me look at the team context right now. They obviously play a lot of platoons, but it's not necessarily working for them, even when they go lefty-heavy there. So... The guy I'm going to recommend based off of that, I think they only have, uh, hang on, do they have a five-game week or just, was I thinking of a different team? No, they have a five-game week this week, so that's part of it. Uh, but also, a lot of the guys that they're facing just aren't that available. Uh, Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, or you just don't really want them, like Drew Hutchison and Anibal Sanchez. But, or is that Aaron Sanchez? Aaron's in Miami, or excuse me, Aaron Sanchez in Minnesota and... Annabelle is still in Washington. Sorry. But no, I would not recommend those guys. Matt Manning is the recommendation here for the Tigers as somebody who could keep it going a bit. He's been looking kind of nice since coming off the IL. And the Giants aren't as threatening as they normally feel uh, because they just haven't been hitting lefties all that well. Since coming off the IL, we've seen a decent little run here from Manning with a three ERA 
and a, hang on, what did my calculator just do? Uh, and a one, two, nine whip against, uh, uh, in four innings, excuse me, in four starts, 24 innings. One, two, nine whip is a little high. And it does say that that three ERA is a little bit suspect. I want to be clear on that. The, the supporting skills aren't as strong as the ERA for Matt Manning right now with a 19% K rate and a 9% walk rate. He is kind of getting by on some things. Although I will say, um, it's been interesting, even in this four-start sample, to see how things have kind of morphed and shifted. He had four walks in the in the return, his, his first start off the IL at Minnesota. Um, and he has five walks in the three starts since then. He also spiked 10 hits at the White Sox, but then has 12 allowed in the other three starts. Two of the starts have gone seven innings. He's gone, gotten at least five strikeouts in the last three outings after getting just one strikeout in the return outing. So Matt Manning, you know, I understand why you're going to look at some of those numbers and be like, oh, no, 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 no. This is still this is still fraudulent. But it's a 23% K rate in those last three starts with a 6% walk rate. So those three, the Tampa Bay White Sox and Angels starts, have been pretty strong, even with the White Sox clubbing 10 hits off of him for four runs. The Minnesota start, I, I'm, I'm lopping that off here a little bit because of the one strikeout, four walk, and I'm like, okay, you can count it. I'm, I'm not saying don't count it or whatever, but I, I personally am willing to give a little bit more of a leeway uh, for a guy coming off the IL and that first start back. So it's not just like Tiger favoritism or because I want to like Matt Manning or anything. It's just, to me, it's logical to, to not go crazy on that first start back um, if there's a little bit of uh, rust being sh shaken off. I mean, he had last pitched April 16th in the majors, so it was a long time for Matt Manning. So if we give him a little bit of a pass on the trip to Minnesota, the last three starts have been pretty good. I like him against the Giants here. Now, I think the Tigers also have a five-game week. They do. Um, so he won't pitch again until next week, and it'll be against Seattle, which is a little bit dicier for Manning. So keep an eye on this one. See see how it goes. And you know, if he continues to pitch like he has these last three, I would I would at least consider hanging on to him, even if you don't necessarily want to start Manning against Seattle next week. I would still hang on. Seattle doesn't exactly beat the cover off the ball against righties. They are sitting 17th in WRC plus since July 1st, and. 11th on the season so they've actually gotten a bit worse and i think that's probably owed at least in in some part to uh ty france really falling off that's one player i understand that but i know specifically and uh i think jp crawford was off to a really great start at the beginning of the year and he too has cooled down so you know a couple key elements there might be why they've come back to the pack a bit against righties but that's for next week for this week san francisco for matt manning i would take the shot and a lot of people gave up on him after the rough debut last year and even you know uh, when he went on the il this year it's like oh moving on and i i feel like it's always been very premature in terms of uh trying to get move on from manning like he was the most heralded of the three with scooble and mize uh, in terms of prospect status. And then just a real quick quit by people on him after a poor 85 and a third last year. And there was nothing to go off of, I admit that. And his upper minors have struggled too. But man, I think it's I think it's a quick move on from Matt Manning. And I will continue to kind of take the discounts on him right now. And I think barring like just a crazy finish in September, there's going to be a massive discount on him. I mean, it would have to be like, pitcher of the month type of standout, you know, 30% K rate to get a bunch of people back on and really elevate Matt Manning's price next year. If it's just a solid, you know, mid threes ERA, uh, 118 to 122 type whip 
with a 23% K rate and 6% walk rate type deal. I don't think that's going to move the needle to the point where Matt Manning will become cost prohibitive. So I'm going to be on that train next year um, just because I think the bargain will be worth it to take a shot on a premium prospect. Now, dregs of the league, I'm going to rapid fire these a little bit. These are some guys that are on, are, are facing the crummy teams that could be available and your league type and, and needs will kind of determine how interested you should be. The Tigers, again, they're a little bit better against lefties. Or I mean, actually, they're a lot better, but it only takes them from literally the very bottom of the league to uh, middle of the league where they're like, eh, okay, but I'm still not scared of the Tigers against anybody. So those those Rangers starters, Glenn Otto, Koei Arihara, and Cole Reagans have deep league viability. I mentioned the Angels already and, of course, Jeffrey Springs, but also Mitch White and Ross Stripling, who are both in the rotation now um, with Mitch White getting in due to Kikuchi being moved to the bullpen. And so uh, White is kind of a poor man stripling, right down to the fact that he came from the uh, from the Dodgers, excuse me. You know, doesn't overpower. Uh, he needs a better fastball for sure, Mitch White does, to really have some success consistently. But I'm going to take a shot against the Angels here. The Marlins, um, they're obviously not very good at hitting. These guys, like Zach Logue, that's a really deep shot there. You got to be careful. Cole Irvin, we know what he is. Uh, you know, I wonder what his roster rates are because he's having another solid season out there. Uh, let me see. Cole Irvin, 47 at Yahoo, 35 at ESPN. Yeah, I could see those going up a bit. Take the plunge against the Marlins with Cole Irvin. If you need strikeouts, obviously that's not the guy you want to get because he doesn't really miss bats even at his best. But if you're just looking for some good ratios, I think this start for Cole Irvin against the Marlins could be a nice little spot. And then on the other end, you're looking at uh, Ryan Pepio for the weekend against the Marlins. And listen, he has not... Well, actually, hang on. Is he going to definitely make that start? Let me look at something real quick. Right as I'm saying it, I'm like, um, one, two, three, four, five. They're not going six, man. He's penciled in on roster resource right now. And I, unless I, I miss something, I don't think they're going. Oh, no, no. Okay. We have six guys, including Pepio, on uh, roster resource too. So I must have missed the news that said that they're going to go six, man. Um, which, okay, cool enough. But yeah, Ryan Pepio, he's got the stuff. So unlike uh, you know somebody like a Cole Irvin, who I was just talking about is more of a finesse guy or whatever, Pepio's got the nasty stuff to be like a big strikeout dude, but he has no idea where it's going. <laughs> and you can see that like within his within his performance so far. He's got 36 Ks and 31 and a third, but he also has 22 walks and six homers. So he has a 402 ERA, which you're like, hey, he's surviving. That's not bad, but a 140 whip says that that ERA can only go up unless Pepio improves. So that's a high-risk one, even against the Marlins. I want to be clear. I know he just diced them up on the weekend. Six innings, two runs, seven punches on four hits. <clears throat> uh, two runs on four hits and two walks with seven punches, I should say. So he did great against them already. But when you're that volatile of a pitcher, even the crummy teams can get you. So be careful with the Pepio one for sure. Love his talent long-term, a little bit nervous in any given start. But I would take the plunge if I'm chasing pitching because the Marlins are that bad. Uh, Pirates, I already mentioned Odorizzi. Kyle Gibson's the only other one who might have some shallow league availability. You take a shot with that. The Nationals, you know, um, I forget who else they're playing. They're playing the Reds, who don't have that many starters 
And then who's the other team they're facing? Oh, they have a five-game week. So they get two at Seattle. Ray and Kirby, of course, rostered everywhere. And then the three against Cincy. I don't. I still don't think you want Mike Miner, even against the Nats. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I've liked Mike Miner in the past. I just can't really trust him right now. He's he's a home run machine, and his hits are through the roof, too. I, I don't think there's any team I can really trust him against. But Nick Lodolo, and... Um, Again, that's a shallow league situation because Nick Lodolo is on rosters in a lot of deeper formats. 22% at Yahoo, 9% at ESPN for Nick Lodolo. And then the Reds are also one of the dregs. So you might be able to... Do they face each other, the guy I'm going to recommend? They do not. Um, okay, so Lodolo does not face Josiah Gray. But um, Josiah Gray, you can see some value there. They face the Phillies and Syndergaard, Suarez, Nolan Wheeler, obviously all rostered. And as far as the other guys for the Nats that the Reds are facing, Paolo Espino and Patrick Corbin, I can't do it. Josiah Gray is scary enough with his home run rates, but his upside is obviously still quite robust. So I'll take that shot against the Reds, but I don't want to take the others. So again, those are just the dregs of the league and some of the starters that are facing them that you might want to go for. Next, let's get into some hitters. So these are some notable guys who are available, come up recently, or popping off recently. They've been picked up a lot in some of the deeper formats. I think they have some viability in some of the shallower formats, so we'll talk it through based on on each guy. First, we'll start with a catcher, and obviously that's a very niche need. Uh, If you only play one catcher leagues, I don't know that Shea Langoliers is necessarily above that line, but if you're in two catcher leagues, he absolutely is. The beauty here is that uh, the the A's know what they have. Obviously, they have Sean Murphy, who's wonderful, uh, but they know that Shea Langliers needs to be playing, so when he's not catching, he's usually DHing. You're going to have to get an occasional day off because you don't want to burn both your catchers into the ground uh, as, as you're kind of finishing the season here, but you should get enough playing time to still be a viable C2 type guy, and you know, depending on how well he hits, he's swinging for the fences right now and, and has a lot of swing and miss in his game does Langoliers so again I don't really see one catcher viability right now I do see two catcher viability 313 average uh, is on the heels of a 500 Babbitt because he's literally striking out 45% of the time in his first 20 plate appearances he had a 22% mark in the minors um, it with a 14% swinging strike rate and then last year at double a it was 26 percent with a 15 percent swinging strike rate he did have 14 plate appearances at triple a in 2021 did shay langliers and he had a 43 percent k rate but again that's a that's as small as this mlb sample so he's not quite that crazy of a strikeout guy but he is a strikeout guy there's going to be swing and miss so if you're picking up langliers it's for power and maybe like a chip-in steal here or there. He did have five this year at AAA. I don't know if that was just a fluke or what. He ran six times. He was five for six. He had one in his pro career prior to that, so don't don't bank on that. That that might be a little bonus there for Shailene Lear's a little steal randomly. You're looking for some pop, and uh, and and really that's that's the main thing with Langliers. But catchers can be brutal, especially in two-catcher leagues, so if you got to go get something, uh, I don't mind taking the shot on Langlers. I did exactly that myself. I cut Austin Nola for him, thinking, hey, maybe I can maybe I can pop a few homers here. Plus, I have like 500 Padres on my team. Anyway, so uh, it's all right to lose one. Brett Beatty out with the Mets. Uh, I believe the guys talked about him yesterday on the episode with, uh, with Ray Murphy. Let me pull up that. 
and confirm yes. So I have not listened to that episode yet. I usually listen on Monday nights or Tuesdays. Uh, when I listen to the Sunday episodes, uh, it's just a little later. So I didn't, didn't hear everything they said, so pardon me if there's some repeat here. Uh, but I like Brett Beatty. I think he's worth taking a shot on uh, in a lot of formats. Obviously, when he hit that homer, you're like, oh, dude, this is the dude. He's going to be amazing. Well, he has done almost literally nothing since then, uh, but not quite. He does have two hits, but he has a 42 WRC plus so far in 24 plate appearances. This is why we don't judge off of these tiny samples, though. Let's give him some time to find his footing. He has a 133 Babbitt. I think Brett Beatty uh, deserves some, some time here to see what's what. Even if you want to pick him, pick him up and kind of uh, bench him, I'd be all right with that. You know, he's hitting eighth uh, on a good Mets team, but still hitting eighth and not producing a ton right now. But deeper leagues, I still think I'm taking a shot with Beatty, especially if somebody's got given up already. Uh, I saw some cuts start popping up on Beatty, and I'm like, okay, well, deeper format, I'm still going to go for it. Premium prospect. Um, did make the call, not directly from AA, but essentially, and what I mean by that is he had a week in AAA. So I don't think we can consider that figured out by any stretch of the imagination. But he's 22. It's not like he's uh, you know necessarily going to be super overmatched. And I don't want to say that these first six games suggest that either. It's a 25% K rate and only 4% walk when he's been a very good walk guy coming up. That's not too far out of pocket for where his K's are going to be. I think they're going to be in the 23 to 27% range for Brett Beatty. But it's supposed to come with a double-digit walk rate, plenty of pop. And, and the ability to hold third down as, as, a, uh, as a defender. So we'll see with him. I like him. We've seen a lot of prospects come up recently, and we, we go rush out to Adam just in case they're the Michael Harris or the Julio Rodriguez. But you always just keep your eyes wide open with any prospect. I don't care how heralded they are. Any prospect, when they come up, know that you're possibly getting a dud. Like, you have to know that. There, even if even if you're hearing us say he's a must pick up, all formats, all that, that doesn't mean that he's a guarantee. There's no such thing. Like it's impossible. So we're always just trying to do our best with with the guesses and and you know who we're going for based on the data that we have. So with Beatty, yeah, I was rushing out to pick him up immediately, and yeah, it's uh, he's struggling so far through a week. I don't care. It's a week. I'm still in on Brett Beatty, and I'll pick him up if people are cutting him right now because it could still flip. The, the theme of this episode has not been Spore favorites, but it's like a it's like a sub-theme because we're going with another one here in Jake Fraley. I loved Jake Fraley. If you listen to the uh, off-season episodes, you probably heard me talk about him a billion times as a late-round pick, somebody who I thought could have a huge season in Cincinnati. Moving Seattle to Cincy was so huge. If you do the... If you do the loose, uh, you know, 78 games last year. So if you do the loose double up, he was a 2020 guy. He had nine homers, 10 steals. So technically it'd be 18, 20 to, to double it up. But you get the point. Um, and the reason I, I, I always preach caution doing that uh, when, you're, when you're doubling up samples, it is dangerous. But the reason I actually am okay with it in this instance uh, a little bit more is because he, A, he was moving the parks to such a better park that I do believe that he could hold the 2010 pace. And two, I think he's better than the 27% K rate that he had last year, and he hit 210 with his batting average. I was like, that's going to go up too. So I thought that this 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 2010 pace, or uh, excuse me, this 2020 pace, or 1820 if you want to be specific there, for Fraley, I thought that, I don't want to say low end, but I thought that was more of a median outcome if he played all year. Well, injury struck. 
and that's why he hasn't played that much. Jake Fraley only has 33 games on the season. He just recently returned. Uh, he's been back uh, since Ju July 30th, and he's been crushing and looking like the guy that I, w I was gassing up all year. So took some time. You know, he only played April. He had 15 games in April and then got hurt missed 78 games and now he's back in 18 games since returning 67 plate appearances jake fraley has six homers uh one steal in two tries so he's not uh running just a ton yet but maybe because he's always rounding the bases he does have 20 hits though two doubles six homers so that's that leaves plenty of singles who knows what sort of availability uh you know how empty for second base has been when he's gotten on i don't know what his attempt potential is I think the steals will come as he continues. I also think the 347, 448, 714 line for Fraley will come down, and that's fine. There's plenty of wiggle room there. It'll be offset by the steals going up as he gets going. So I love Fraley. I think he's a great player for the uh, for the remainder of the season. And frankly, I'm I'm going all formats here. I think, um, well, I, I'm going to put a little, little caveat on that. I know that there are some formats where there's three outfielders and no util. He's not a top 30 outfielder, Jake Fraley. And so if there's, if there's only three outfielders, no util, no CI, no MI, which is corner infielder, middle infielder. And not that he can play those, but they, that, those categories being in, those uh, positions being in there would take some outfielders out and, and you know make somebody like Fraley push up a little bit. But with, if you're in a league without that and it's a little bit stripped down, okay, he's not, he's not a go-to there. But any five outfielder format for Fraley, I'm in. And uh, if you don't think I'm going to be promoting him heavily for next year again, you're crazy. Of course I am. Uh, you know, unless the major thing changes to, to suggest that he's going to be out of time, uh, out of playing time, I'm not going anywhere on this recommendation. It's coming in a little late, but I think it's coming in here for the stretch run. He's leading off too. love Jake Fraley. Get him everywhere you can. Um, this, this is actually kind of the aftermath of the of the boon to go get him. A lot of people already picked him up. But there is still availability out there, especially as he's now becoming more of a shallower league play. The deeper leagues is where everyone picked him up. I should, I should specify there because I made it sound like he's been picked up everywhere. No, he's 10% of the at Yahoo, 4% of the ESPN for Jake Fraley. So shallow league, super available. The deep leaguers did jump on the Fraley train when he came back. Power speed guy, got to do it. Luis Renjifo was uh, like the Angels' best hitter there going for a while. And not named Otani, obviously, with uh, with Fishboy on the shelf. He has returned. Mike Trout is indeed back. And uh, Taylor Ward just falling off a cliff. Man, he has not been the same since coming back from that, that hamstring injury. He had a shoulder injury earlier, too. You have to think that Taylor Ward is nicked up right now and just not playing at 100%. But anyway, Renjifo has gotten a chance to play and bat in the middle of the order, and he's been producing, and I'm in. And listen, I think he'll move down a little bit, obviously, with the return of Trout. Uh, actually, no, no, he's the, the, the Trout news benefits him because he was hitting third, fourth, Renjifo was. He's still going to hit there, but now it's after Trout. So it'll be Otani, Trout, Renjifo. That's a great setup. There's going to be ducks on the pond consistently for the switch hitting Renjifo. I still like Ward a bit, I got to be honest. Um, and if Ward can get going again, then he's batting behind Renjifo. And then you got a little four-pack there at the top of their order that it actually isn't too bad, given how everything else is literally horrendous there for them. Um, but don't worry about the Ward piece. We don't need that to come through to feel good about Renjifo. I think it's good enough with Trout back and just kind of looking at what Renjifo's been doing now for, for a decent while, too. I mean, he was down early on in the season, 
uh, I think in April, yeah, April, or excuse me, May, because he, he didn't, he didn't uh, debut until May 8th. So in May, he hit the ground running pretty well. He had a 788 OPS with a 290 batting average, a couple homers, in uh, a steal. This is Luis Renjifo. And then he kind of gave it all back there throughout the early part of June. But then he kind of kicked it into a gear in late June, and he's been able to hold that, and it ends up being a 50-game sample where he's hitting 308, 332, 495 for Luis Renjifo with seven homers and four steals. That's a 23-13 full-season pace for Renjifo with uh, with 27 ribbies and 19 runs. That's an 87 RBI pace and a 62 run pace. Now, the 62 run pace, that's because nobody drives him in after he does some damage. Uh, But, you know, 23 homers, 13 steals, 87 ribs with a 308 average, that's super viable even if the runs scored are tiny. Now, that's just a full season pace from a 50-game sample, and I just spoke of the dangers of doubling up a, you know, 75-80 game sample, so be careful, you know, tripling up a 50-game sample. I I admit that, but I think Renjifo has some real skills here. He makes plenty of contact. Um, There's a little bit of punch in his bat. It's not it's not massive. There's a little bit of speed. It's not massive. It's a do-everything kind of guy who needs the volume to really show out for fantasy, but that's what he's getting right now, and I don't see any reason why she, uh, Luis Renjifo would not continue to play every day down the stretch, uh, and he's also triple eligible in a lot of formats with second, third, and short, so Luis Renjifo is an interesting hitter who I've been uh, going for in deeper formats for a while, and now I'm starting to think maybe there's some 12-team viability as well. Manuel Margot for the Rays is somebody worth picking up. He's been coming. He just got back. Was it a short-term injury or was it an IL stint? Let me look real quick here. I'm failing to remember. I want to say it was standard IL stint for Margot, but he's back uh, just last week. He's only played a couple games back so far. And I think he's he's worth going for. Yeah, he's he's been out for a minute. He only played 53 games. That had to be a long-term stint. Yeah, he went out on June 20th. So he missed exactly two months, did uh, did Margot. But he was having a nice season. He was hitting 302, 365, 423 on the year prior to leaving with the injury with three homers and five steals. Now, that's not a crazy pace. That's 10 and 16 for a full season for Manuel Margot. So that wasn't like, oh, wow extrapolate that he's he's going crazy no it was more of like hey he's doing some good things he can offer some double digit speed and this is why like paces especially with with a category like steals uh, i know we, we always say like homers come in bunches uh it seems like steals can too especially you know uh, a lot of times we see teams do do home and homes meaning they play a team f- uh three games at their at their place and then the next week they play them three games at their place uh real quick back to back and so let's say they're playing like a really terrible catching. Uh, uh, I should have just said catcher. I don't know why I said catching because then I was going to, I don't know what word I was going to put there, but they're playing like a, a crummy catcher or something. Well, then they can get them for two series in short order. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we got four steals in a 10 day span. And that sort of stuff can happen. So I, I'm always nervous about pacing steals because you can also do the other thing where they just came off a hot run against bad. Uh, catchers and so they got seven steals in a 20 game spell and then we're extrapolating that so there's always dangers in extrapolation I do it for reference though too for me um, if I hear okay you know certain game counts and PA counts are easy to do it with like if you tell me three homers and five steals in 200 plate appearances why well, can triple that up for a 600 plate appearance like that's not too hard but 
if you're like, oh, he's played 37 games with, you know, uh, 162 plate appearances and he has this many homers and this many steals, I, unless it's an outsized number, unless you're telling me there's eight homers and 12 steals in those 37 games, I don't contextualize it as well. So that's why I give the full season paces. I still put the caveats of the extrapolation just so people don't think that I think that's the true talent of the player, but I do it for in order to contextualize the sample. So I just wanted to explain that in case you've ever heard me give off samples uh, a full season paces and and then thought, dude, don't do that, man. You you're going to you're going to mislead people into thinking that that's who they are. No, and that's why I always give the caveats of how dangerous it is. I'm doing it for something different. Not to say this is who the player is, more to say this is what if he was doing this for a full season, that's the kind of clip that he's been on for 20 games, 30 games, 50 games, whatever the case may be. So with all that uh, extra context there. Manuel Margot is back. He's a speed component. I think even though with the Rays, he's he's likely not playing every single day, I still think I'm picking him up in 12s and deeper for sure, and maybe even some 10s if I'm desperate for speed because it's so hard to find, and Manny Margot can definitely run uh, at a decent enough clip. He's, he's had 20 before. He has uh, double-digit steals in every one of his seasons where he's played a reasonable sample. Heck, even the dumb 2020 season that wasn't a season shouldn't be counted as such in any way, shape, or form. He only had 159 point appearances in that, and Manuel Margot still went 12 for 16 over there. So I, I definitely like him. Uh, speaking of some steed, some steed, speaking of some steed, y'all, speaking of some speed, Jake McCarthy could be an interesting player for y'all with the, uh, with the Diamondbacks. In fact, yeah, our last two guys are Diamondbacks. So let me loop in Stone Garrett here as well. What a name, Stone Garrett. But let's start with Jake McCarthy, who again is, is that we're kind of in the aftermath here or not even aftermath. We're in the second stage. I feel like guys go through two stages of being picked up. They get picked up in the deeper leagues when they're like, okay, maybe they might be something and there's some speculations. Then the playing time starts to establish, the samples start to look better, and then they get to the shower leagues. And that's not a diss on shower leagues. The thresholds for interest are different. And so it, that makes sense. That's that's exactly how it should go. So McCarthy, speed demon that he is, uh, was getting the, the deeper league love of late. He's 9 for 10 on steals this year. But now he has four homers as well. So he's putting a little bit with the bat. Uh, out there too he had a big season at triple a in 30 well a big month plus 36 games there popped off for five homers 11 steals 165 wrc plus which is a bananas i mean that's that's the pcl for you though uh so you know he's, he's playing some of his best ball down there comes up to the majors he's been up for 64 games 204 plate appearances and 276 average 340 obp 416 slug for jake mccarthy with those four homers and nine steals and 10 tries. Perfectly capable plate skills, 22% K rate, 8% walk rate. He's got a 111 WRC plus. I don't think the 343 BABIP is t terribly outsized for somebody as speedy as him who makes you know solid enough contact. So I think there's a lot to like here with Jake McCarthy and a lot of believability in what he's doing. And so I think with this production that he's putting up, he's going to continue to play. Now, he's mostly like a five-type hitter. Uh, he, he bats fifth against righties, and it looks like eighth against lefties. Now, he didn't play against the lefty that they faced on Wednesday of last week, but he is. he did start yesterday, Sunday the 21st. McCarthy did, and he batted eighth against lefties. So I think he mixes in on occasion against lefties, but does always play against righties. Strong side platoons. 
um, you have to be careful rostering them in shallower leagues. Those those days off, if it's a daily league and you can switch them out and, and actually get those at-bats, I'm totally fine with. But if I'm in a 10-team, a strong side platoon, they better be really, really good in that strong side platoon because the extra volume, um, if you can't replace it, if you're not able to to make changes when they have you know three righties or three lefties coming up if they are a righty killer, that you you will fall behind in some of the counting categories there, but Jake McCarthy playing a bunch only missed one game last week, and they uh, they had uh, two lefties, so he did get one lefty start. He's doing well, and he's running. Stone Garrett now has recently come up, and uh, he's he's a righty, so he would be on the opposite end of of a platoon there, but. He, he hasn't been platoon. He got called up on Wednesday, and he played four of the five games. Two starts against lefties, two starts against righties. He got the day off on Saturday. And I tell you what, one of the guys who's going to be losing time if McCarthy and Garrett are popping off is my boy Alec Thomas. Now, I love Alec Thomas, but uh, he has hit that rookie wall in a big way. So be careful with him. He's not somebody that you're automatically starting by any stretch of the imagination right now. And uh, like I said, McCarthy and Garrett, are threats to his playing time. Uh, Garrett, not directly in that Garrett's not going to go play center, but you put Garrett in left, McCarthy in center, and Thomas can be on the outside looking in, as he was for two of the last three games because Alec Thomas has an 84 WRC plus on the season. I'm not worried about him long-term at all. I'm still fully in on Alec Thomas in anything keeper or dynasty, but right now, he hasn't been playing all that well. In fact, that 84 uh, WRC plus doesn't sound like catastrophic. It's not good, but nobody's like, okay, well, you know, it's not a 52 or something. But don't forget, he actually started pretty well. Like he he was he was doing pretty well initially upon his recall. In fact, as late as um, 36 games into his career, he had a 785. Uh, OPS. In fact, no, uh, I can go even further there. On June 22nd, his 41st game, Alec Thomas spiked back up to 788. But since then, that's his, that it's been down, down, down. He has a 551 in his last 47 games. So first 41, 788 OPS, last 47 games, 551. This is Alec Thomas, who I'm only discussing to, to highlight how McCarthy and Stone Garrett can benefit from these struggles. He has two homers and he's 0 for 3 on the bases in that time for Alec Thomas. So he's losing time to McCarthy and Garrett. Uh, Garrett was just called up this week, played four games. Um, who cares what the stats are because it's four games. In the minors, four, 440 plate appearances at AAA, he hit 28 homers and was 15 for 17 on the base paths. Now, to give you an idea of how bananas the PCL is, and I think I did this with Eggy, by the way, Eggy Rosario. I was calling him E Guy because I was just sounding it out like a dumbass. It's Eggy. So big thanks to, uh, I think it was Tim who told me that. Uh, appreciate the correction there because I did not have that right. <laughs> but I really, really do appreciate uh, that, that. That's what I'm saying. I always appreciate when, when people help me out with that. And that's Tim Kanak at Fantasy Ace Ball, uh, Fantasy A C E B A L L. Give him a follow. He helped me out with Eggy. Uh, but I, I mentioned, I think with him, you know, when you look at an, uh, a AAA PCL line and then go look at the WRC plus and it'll really put it into context. So Stone Garrett has a 900 OPS, but a 112 WRC plus. And that's a perfect crystallization of what the PCL can do. So what what's that mean then? Just be careful with that 28 homer and 15 steal 
sample there in terms of thinking like, yo, Stone Garrett is going to answer my questions. He's going to be, be a power speed guy and he's going to win me my league. If they fully believed in those numbers, Arizona would have called him up months ago. And again, this is not a diss on him. He's playing where he has to play and he's putting up the numbers that he's capable of. That That's, that's great. Uh, but the 112 WRC plus is the cold water. You need not to freak out about that. He could come up. I think he could put a little bit of pop up there, a little bit of speed. He does have the skills for both. He's a 55 speed and he has 55 raw power. Now his game power, we graded out pretty low. Oh no, that's a 2017 report. Never mind. His game power was 20 back then. Thankfully it is higher. And I would, I would say his game power is at least a 45 right now, uh, with maybe all the way up to that 55 that his raw power is at. And what's that mean by the way, between raw power and game power, basically batting practice power that you show off. And when you're in the cage and you're, and you're crushing it and you, you got all the right form and, and you got these, uh, these, these big exit velos, but then in game, you're not quite there. Obviously batting practice is a hell of a lot different than a game situation. So you can take that raw power, bring it into the game. Sometimes guys just end up as raw power monsters only, and they never really bring it to game because there's one thing to have power and be able to crush home run derby homers. And it's quite another to be able to hit, you know, a 101 on the corner from Jacob deGrom. I mean, bad example because nobody hits him, but you get my point. So that's uh, Jake McCarthy and Stone Garrett, and that's the episode there. So we did some streamers, and we did a few hitters that you might look to pick up. Again, this being a Monday episode, um, it's not going to be catered to the NFBC crowd. And uh, listen, I think that's okay. Um, these are still some names that might help you with some start-sit decisions, but they aren't necessarily going to be pickup decisions for that crowd. Uh, but hopefully you still enjoy it. Let me know what you think of this. And if you're cool with more uh, pod episodes down the stretch here, as I kind of figure out that writing process issue that I've been having where I'm just like, I don't know, man, articles that used to take me a couple hours, I'm now like five, six hours in. I'm like, I don't understand. Is my brain falling apart? I actually, you know, wonder, am I... What's going on? So I don't know. But pods, going to have more of them down the stretch here. I got a guest coming up on Thursday. Going to be talking to Sarah Langs of MLB. Justin and I will be back tomorrow. Until then, y'all.